in all honesty, if the product is good enough, they'll do it. And that's what we found. I think the product, in our sense, it speaks for itself that the way it's impacted their life, whether it's, you know, the the mother with the autistic child who, you know, sensory issues, um, whether it's the woman with extremely heavy periods, the pregnant lady who, you know, who's got leaks. In that sense, they're championing it because it's it is impacting their day-to-day life and making it so much better compared to the alternative. Hey, welcome to the Lady Brains podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for female founders and founders-to-be. We're chasing down the most successful female entrepreneurs from around the globe, not only to hear their life story, but to extract their knowledge and world-class insights. If you're curious and ambitious, then Lady Brain, you are in the right place. Get ready for some hard-hitting truths, a dose of inspo, and learnings you can apply right away. Strap in. After having her second child, Christy Chong experienced a problem that has the potential to impact almost 50% of the world's population. She was a little incontinent, no big deal. But she wasn't convinced that disposable hygiene options at the time were suitable. She needed a better solution, and so she set out to build it. And build it she did. She is the founder of multi-million dollar leak-proof underwear and a power brand, Modi Body. Her products were designed to solve the issues for women, and seven years later, she's now also helping men. This chat has depth. Not only was Modi Body first to market, but Christie's state-of-the-art fibre technology is featured in the Powerhouse Museum of Australia, which is the contemporary museum for excellence and innovation in applied arts and sciences. The brand is sustainable and underpinned by social impact initiatives. Quick shout out. If you haven't listened to our chat with Elements T, go and do that as it's a great lead into ethical business and this chat. Christy Chong is an example of a self-motivated powerhouse and the success of Modi Body to date has been pretty impressive. However, it's not over with a global expansion in the works. And as you'll hear, we got the inside scoop that she's about to sign with a major retailer here in Australia too. Yeah, so, I mean, the idea for Modi Body, it came about, uh, it was not long after my second child was born um, and I was doing quite a lot of running. Uh, I was actually training for a marathon, in fact. And so um, I'd also started to experience this really bad leaky bladder um, and my periods had not long returned. And as you do when you're running a lot, um, I was sweating. And the only option available um, to me was disposable hygiene. And I don't know, I just came to that sort of realisation that that wasn't good enough and I wanted something better. And, you know, why were women women having to put up with a real inconvenient, eco-damaging, uncomfortable solution? And why have we been putting up that for many, many years? And, and just from that idea, um, you know, I thought maybe I could develop some underwear that could do all of that, be reusable, be super comfy, look funky and, um, you know, wear, wash, repeat. Um, and I did. <laughs> and you did, just like that. No, uh, no. You, I heard it, so it took two years and over a thousand tests before you actually got the whole process, the manufacturing process right. Can you talk us through? Yeah. Talk us through it. So, yeah, from the idea, um, I actually went home and I, I spoke to my husband about it and, and believe it or not, he was actually quite supportive <laughs> um, because it required putting some, you know, some of our funding and, and um, savings behind it. So, um, yeah, so that that was great. He, he got, I got his support and then, and off I went about sort of developing this technology. Um, so, you know, where I started, um, I had to do my research. I had to find out 
I had to learn about textiles and fabrics and fibres um, firstly. And so, you know, that was a lot of calling, you know, knit companies, woven companies, and when they couldn't help me, they'd put me onto someone else. It was going to, you know, sporting and performance retailers and, you know, getting all the fabrics and fibres that existed there. And then I looked wider, you know, I even looked in the, looked in the equine industry um, and actually came across a gem for one of my fibres, which I ended up incorporating um, into our garment. So, wow. yeah, I had to look really wide and far and speak to a lot of people, um, including, you know, chemical textile engineers. Uh, and I even spoke to the woman who was involved in making Gore-Tex. So um, from that, you know, research, it then came the science and and that's what took so long. So we had to get the fibres, the fabrics, and then you have to put them together and you have to test them and pipette and, you know, what do they do, drying in terms of, Um, moisture absorption. um, And then I actually got those fabrics when I got them down to a a more usable uh, amount. And then I sewed them into pairs of my underwear and I tested them. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So So, I had to do that. So (laughs) let me get this straight. You don't have a background in textiles and you also don't have a background in science, but you managed to go and source all these different materials and just create your own. Yeah. Look, I think once I had this idea in my head, um, I, I'm a problem solver by nature. I had to solve it and it, yeah. And I was just, I really wanted something better for me and for, for all bodies actually. Um, because I just didn't want to use disposable hygiene. Uh, I just didn't want to use it anymore. So I think that desire to get rid of the old and bring in this new idea, it's what kept me going, um, no matter what hurdle I sort of came across. And so how did you actually approach manufacturers, what was your brief? Did you have, I mean, you had a really clear idea about what you wanted the product to do, but mm. but how did you start those conversations? Yeah. So I actually sourced all the fibres and fabrics myself. Um, so once I'd done that part, uh, which took some time to do, uh, I actually took it to manufacturers and I found um, a manufacturer in Australia to start with. And and they thought it was quite funny, actually. They couldn't quite understand, <laughs> you know, they just couldn't get their head around it. You know, why are you making the gusset slightly bigger and, you know, longer and this three layer? So, yeah, it, it was quite a process to go through. And at the same time, you know, I was learning about what a single stitch was versus a double stitch. So it was a learning for the manufacturers just as much as it was for me in terms of the design process for making underwear. Um, and, you know, I did, I did con- have a consultant come on and um, help me do the first patterns. And from there I taught myself and, you know, I, I went, I went sort of went with it and, um, designed underwear that I felt women needed as well in terms of the comfort and the fit, um, that was missing on the market. Wow. Was there anyone else doing this at the time or were you the first to market? Yeah, we were the first to market. Um, I'm proud to say that, you know, as an invention, it's listed in the Powerhouse Museum of Australia. So um, I'm I'm pretty proud about that. As you should Um, be. That's cool. (laughs) I didn't set out to be, you know. An um, inventor. inventor, Yeah, yeah, you're an inventor. Oh, my God. I can say I'm an inventor. I'm alongside, you know, the Hills Hoist and and other um, cochlear and and other inventions. So so it is is pretty exciting um, to say that. So, yeah, we were the first. uh, we we put the idea out there and, and obviously others have, have tried to come along that path. But what I'm proud about with Modi Body is that, you know, everything we do is it does have uh, science behind it and, you know, we have got patents on our product. So, you know, it's proven and now it's tried and tested. So that's what I'm very proud about. It's just so incredible. What advice would you give to people who are looking to start, whether it's a fashion brand or whether it's a completely 
different product that they don't have much knowledge of. Is there anything that you would advise that we do in this early stage other than, you know, do your research and and talk to a lot of people? Is there anything that you wish you knew back then that you know now? Oh, geez, so much. But back then you don't need to know it. I think that's the <laughs> that's the that's the truth. I think a little bit of ignorance is bliss mm, because yeah. it's such a big, long journey to, you know, where I am today. Um, And I think you have to tackle things one at a time. And when you feel very overwhelmed, you know, my strategy was just to put it down on paper and prioritise and look at what what do you need to, what do you need to deal with now? You don't want to think too far ahead at the beginning. You have to focus on the product first and foremost, and then, you know, get the product and then focus on testing it with friends and family, um, ensuring you get enough good, honest feedback that Mm. it's worth putting the product into market. Um, You know, a lot of people come to me with ideas and I said, if you're not really creating something that's having change in the world, why bother? You know, there's so many, you know, two versions of or the second version of, but I I don't know, there's so many things that we can fix and solve and make better. That's why I'd love as a society we put our energy behind. Absolutely love that. Great message. (laughs) Yeah. So when you launched to market, it was a product that consumers would have never seen before. I mean, you were kind of taking a completely innovative new approach to the category of, I guess, female hygiene. So what did that launch look like? And what was the consumer perception at the very beginning? Yeah, it it was tough. Um, not only was I launching a new brand, but a whole new category. Uh, and, you know, it, there was not a lot of positive reception um, from mainstream media, uh, on it. So, um, you know, my background is in public relations mm, and yeah. and I did sort of reach out. So it was more comfy. They talked about, you know, being comfortable underwear, um, not really wanting to talk about periods and incontinence and all these other leaks that we have, um, you know, men, women, young people, old people. So, yeah, that was that was really, really tough. So, but I um, addressed that by using my own story, speaking really o- openly through, you know, vlogs, um, through uh, then finding sort of micro-influencers and others who were wear- willing to share their story. Uh, at the start, you know, nobody wanted to post a photo of themselves in period and leak-proof underwear. That was really tough as well. Now we have, you know, hundreds per week customers contacting us. They're, they're, they're putting their photos out on Insta and everywhere all the time and they want to model for us. So things have changed so dramatically from the beginning and I'm really proud of that. I think partly, you know, it was our our um, commitment to be open and to break down those taboos. But there's been a lot of happening as well, as you know, with the Me Too movement, um, discussions around, you know, removal of GST, this whole movement, this second, you know, wave of feminism has helped um, as well. So and we're part of that and I'm really proud of it. And what other marketing strategies did you use to launch the brand? Like how did you control the narrative back then? Because it, was, yeah. uh, you know, it wasn't as easy back then. Correct. So social media, our owned content was really, really important. So, um, you know, getting people to engage with us um, and be part of our tribe, that was that was very, very important. Um, reviews, uh, reviews are, are underrated. They're so important to, to your actual marketing strategy. Um, and then we did a lot of customer surveys. So we were continually engaging with our customers um, and asking for their feedback on, you know, what they'd like us to fix about the product or what the next product they wanted to see. And then we were also getting, you know, uh, getting them to refer us. So we've got a lot of our um, marketing strategy is through word of mouth. 
Uh, so, yeah, social media, word of mouth and um, re- on Google reviews. So I have a question about reviews and referral mm. referrals um, because obviously, you know, word of mouth and is the most powerful form of marketing. How do you how do you engage your customers or how do you spark that conversation so that they will talk about you, that they will, you know, post a review on your website? In all honesty, if the product is good enough, they'll do it. And that's what we found. I think um, the, the product, in our sense, it speaks for itself that the way it's impacted their life, um, whether it's, you know, the the mother with the, you know, the autistic child who, you know, has sensory issues, um, whether it's the woman with extremely heavy periods, you know, the the pregnant lady who, you know, who's got leaks, we've actually empowered their life. And, you know, I know for women who've also got endometriosis and um, polycystic ovaries, they talk about because this product goes with your natural period flow, mm. um, not blocking it up, it actually takes pain away. Uh, so, you know, in that sense, they're championing it because it's, it is impacting their day-to-day life and making it so much better compared to the alternative. You've spoken about a few different customer mm. segments then. Um, so, you know, women with, you know, endometriosis, um, you know, women who have had kids, like there are a lot of different women that would find your product useful. Did you sort of go after a specific segment in the early days, really um, sort of strategically, or has has this kind of just evolved over time? Look, I, I in the early days, because of who I am, I, I went after people like me. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I, you know, yeah. it just made sense. I was going after mums, um, you know, women or uh, mums who menstruate and may have bladder leaks because one in three do. Um, so that's that's where our target market sat. Interestingly, we still sit in that you know that space, um, but we've obviously expanded now into the tween market where you know she's also purchasing for uh, her daughter, um, and uh, yeah, that's that's where we sort of sit at the moment. And now we've expanded into men's, yeah, and, um, yeah, because you know one in thirteen men also have leakage, and also a lot of men have chafing and sweat, and so the product can can work for for that as well. So, you know, no more scratching their, their yeah. balls. That's what we say with Moddy Bodies on. <laughs> oh, that is not what I thought I'd hear on this show, but I love it. So I, I can imagine that uh, inventing a new product, you know, isn't cheap. And, you know, in those early early years of starting a brand, you know, it can be hard and cash flow can be, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we face. How did you manage cash flow? And can you share how much money you sunk into the business in those early days? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I spent with a budget of about $30,000 and I spent about $25,000 um, to get the, the product and um, ready and off the ground. So, uh, that's also why I sort of chose to go online. So, um, you know, I worked with a family member to help me develop the website. Um, and so then I went to an Australian manufacturer. So what I did is I imported the fabrics and fibres. And the reason I did that was because in Australia, the manufacturers would do small scale runs right. of 500. So I was able to do five styles, 100 pieces, um, 500 in total. Yes, it was more costly, but I wasn't committing to a massive outlay. Yeah. And they had four-week turnarounds on production. So um, everything that I did was as small scale as it could be to save money. Um, and then when you go D to C, you can you know launch your, your product, you can make money, invest it back into stock. And with a four-week turnaround, you know, you can manage your cash flow. Yeah. 
I'm not so, gonna lie. Yeah. I'm sure oh, we've got like yeah, we're all <laughs> I, I was expecting you to say like hundred grand or hundred and fifty grand more. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I didn't. Um, so not in that the, the, the first bit when I got to uh, two years on. So I actually then took on an angel investor and um, they contributed an under, another $150,000 and that money was used towards uh, marketing mm. and to hire my first part-time employee. So um, yeah, and to buy some more stock. So then I took the manufacturing overseas to China um, just because we needed to get better techniques and also, you know, as we know, manufacturing, unfortunately, in Australia, um, you know, it, it's not going to be around forever. Uh, so a lot of the seamstresses now, um, all their children are getting educated and, and they're not wanting to stay in that profession. So, And what was, um, that, yeah. what was that process like, taking manufacturing offshore? Was that tricky? It was really interesting because <laughs> it was quite um, fortuitous, I guess. My my bank manager, having the last name Chong can be really helpful, being married <laughs> to a, a Malaysian-Australian, um, <laughs> yeah, it can help. So our bank manager happens to be um, Chinese descent. We often get, you know, put with the Chinese bank manager. And, um, yeah, they, they said to me, oh, wow, you're making, they asked about what I was doing and making this underwear business, they happen to know um, a, a Chinese underwear manufacturer and that's how the relationship started. No, that was it. So that was my introduction. I met them. I knew that they'd made, you know, for some big apparel brands um, and department stores. So that was, uh, off I went and I got my first 10,000 made um, in China. And are you still manufacturing with them? No, I've moved on though. Um, their production manager moved on to another um, factory and, um yeah, she's so she's still she's still with us, um, Vivi, which is fantastic. She's she's wonderful. I was just going to ask a question in the sort of wake of coronavirus and you know the issues with um, production and supply. I guess have you been impacted over the last few months in terms of um, you know not being able to get stock? We thankfully uh, were okay, and the reason we were is we'd made a decision at the end of the last year to um, ramp up our stock supply. So it was again very lucky timing um, that we did that. So um, we had a three week delay, but thankfully we'd actually received a, a huge shipment just before that, so we weren't impacted. Um, and also the areas of China where we um, uh, where we manufacture, uh, they weren't as impacted as others. So. That was good for us. Very lucky. <laughs> yes, very lucky. <laughs> very lucky. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that you started out by selling direct to consumer. Um, I'm interested why you decided to launch online and then when did you um, diversify your distribution channels and how's that impacted the business? Yeah, I decided to uh, go online um, because I knew with this product it was creating a whole new category. So I had to I couldn't imagine on a shelf and some <laughs> salesperson trying to talk through what this was about. Um, and even when I, it's funny, early on, I was, I did speak to a few people and, and they agreed with me that, you know, this was more D to C. And then, um, you know, I did put some calls into department stores and the, and the buyers of <laughs> Intimate Apparel and they were just like, what? You know, who are you? <laughs> who are this? you? What is this? Like, go away, go away. And I went, yeah, okay, not yet. And, and, I, and I thought, but one day you'll be knocking on my door and, and they are now. So we, we, you know, that's why we have um, uh, decided to uh, increase our distribution and, you know, watch this space in September. You will see us um, in, in a large retailer here in Australia. Ooh, so and um, Yeah, so cryptic. And then in um, large retailers in the UK and in the US as well. So, yeah, that, that is on the cards for, because they're coming to us and, 
And also we can get the margins that we want in, in the early mm. days. One of them, we were speaking to you, the margins were just, they weren't, we couldn't work with them. Did you build those margins into your business model from the beginning? Yeah, so we right. did. Yeah, we had to build in um, a margin that would allow us to wholesale. Mm. Um, but, you know, wholesale, that, so, you know, I always believe both businesses have to make money and both businesses have to be profitable. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I think big department stores just don't understand that and, you know, they... Um, they don't they don't work with with up and coming um, businesses and support them to grow. So the one we've chosen is pretty good. We're happy with what they're how they're working with us. Can you tell us how it is? <laughs> <laughs> I better not yet because okay, customers okay. will then say that we hear someone. Oh, I heard you said it was in. Yes, <laughs> and uh, it's not there yet. Yeah, we don't yeah. want to get yeah. you in trouble. So can you tell us a little bit more about the international? expansion plans that you have? Um, you mentioned the UK. Yeah. I mean, look, with our product, it's a, it is a global market. Half the population menstruates and, um, you know, one in three globally have, have incontinence. So uh, I never feared going globally with this business. Um, and you, the UK was a natural fit for us in terms of, you know, English, their focus on sustainability, um, sizing, these sorts of things. So we, you know, we sort of looked at that market and felt it was quite relevant to launch in. And yeah, it's, I mean, sales now uh, are almost similar to our Australian sales. Wow. Um, yeah, we're the number one UK brand as well as the number one Australian brand. So uh, yeah, I'm really, really thankful that we went to the UK, but we've also got distributors in places like the United Arab Emirates, in Israel, in wow. South Africa, in West Africa, in Iceland. So, yeah, from a, we also work with other um, entrepreneurs who approach us and want to start their own businesses and, and we support most of them are women, to get their business, body body business off the ground as well. So then we, we won't enter those markets with a direct-to-consumer model. We'll just support them to grow. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? So you, so how does that work? Yeah, so basically um, we provide all the stock for them and they buy it from us directly at a, at a low cost um, and they're really running the the marketing side of the business and that's what they focus on. They focus on, you know, owning the and localising the product to their market. And do they, um, do they, are they a particular, do they have a kind of region or a remit? that They do. Right. They do. So they've got exclusivity in those regions. So if they've got West Africa, it's um, a West African exclusivity. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they've got that. And we have contracts in place and sales targets. And yeah, we work with them. We have monthly meetings. Um, you know, they can get access to all our marketing materials. Um, but yeah, we just feel it's a great way to get the Modi Body brand out there. But at the same time, you know, um, helping other, um, mainly women, you know, become entrepreneurs and business people in their own right. What inspired this? Did, did you test it, at, you know, at first and found, oh, this is actually a great way to get the product out there quickly and easily? Yeah. Uh, so we did. We actually were approached um, by, first it was was a distributor in Iceland and I thought, why not? Why wouldn't I give her this opportunity? You know, it's not something I'm looking at and, and it is. It's a great way to get get the, the product into to more people's hands and to get them replacing their disposable options. And there was nothing for us to lose. Is that a, is this a normal model? Is this a model? <laughs> yeah. Because I, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard of another brand approaching international markets this, this way. Yeah, so other brands will use distributors, yeah, but yeah. they won't necessarily set them up as their own business owners. They they will often go to a distributor who works for multiple brands, mm. um, and so that's why they'll get into market. But yeah, we've sort of approached it slightly differently. 
I mean, it's kind of, you know, playing into the word of mouth, isn't it? Like you kind of, yeah. Yeah, it is. And um, and we get a lot of requests through our um, through our customer experience team. So for, for these types of, you know, um, distributors. So yeah, as long as we're not going to go in there, um, I think it it's just beneficial for, for everyone, really. I love that. Yeah. Mm. So you are um, in charge of international expansion. Yes. <laughs> Tell us what a what does a day on a plate look like for you? I'm I'm interested. I'm oh. sure it's quite varied. <laughs> yeah. Look, I I switch and and I have very full days. So I do three days in the office, um, and then um, I'm two days at home. And one of those, I have my daughter, my youngest daughter, well, my only daughter at home with me. And so, yeah, when I'm in the office, I'm, I'm, I'm in a lot of meetings. I'll, I'll be really honest now. So I'll jump from, I'm very involved in the product development um, to, uh, you know, the brand. I'm very involved in the brand um, because that's, you know, very personal um, to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, looking at P and Ls and and things like that, all so the it's, fun stuff. Uh, all the fun stuff. <laughs> um, and you know, I actually actually do like the P and L, and and <laughs> because um, I think understanding your numbers is is so important, and you know where your money is going. Understand, you know, when you put money in, what that return is, what it costs you to acquire. Um, all the retention stuff about your customers, all those metrics, and being an online business going to YDTC, um, being online allows you to get that data um, at your hands and truly develop um, a more personalised uh, shopping experience for your customer as well and and content experience. So that's why I love being D2C. From the very get-go, did you always have a really deep understanding of your the finances and your business model and the metrics that you tracked and your KPIs? Like, did you have that really fundamental understanding even from when you were a really small business? I, yes. So, yeah, I set that up from the very beginning. I've been very metrics driven. Um, you know, I love Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we were all, we've always monitored it um, from the very beginning. So how many repeat customers, that's always come in. The financial aspect's been a learning process for me, um, but I did, you know, I had a great advisor. I used my, you know, the marketing metrics we had and the cost of goods. I had very good understanding because I was involved in the cost of goods and the production side. So because I'm the only founder, um, I had to do both. But that gives you really good understanding of what things cost and the metrics. Mm. And then you build that into your financial model and um, you make all these assumptions um, and you put that into your financial model. And um, yeah, that part I had to learn. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point because so many women that we speak to in our community sort of have, feel like they have um, a knowledge or skills gap in terms of the finances and the modelling and cash flow and metrics and all of that sort of stuff. So I think it's interesting that you kind of sought out expertise in terms of um that area where you needed it. Yeah. Um, is that your advice to people now who are kind of in the early stages of building a business and don't feel confident in that area? Yes. So, um, I mean, I was doing all my own bookkeeping at the start because I wanted to understand the numbers. So I'd say when you're really small, you know, just doing your own bookkeeping is fine. And, you know, keeping a little Excel tab, don't go build a full financial model. Um, but as you start to grow and you're going to take in a little bit of, if you decide to take in a little bit of investment, um, like I did, it is worth it. But you have to be involved in building mm. the model. Do not mm. 
give that responsibility somewhere else. You need to own it. You need to be, you know, looking at it daily and playing with it so you get to understand your numbers. Um, yep, that's really important. Yep. Mm. But you don't need to know, you know, the tax side and all that. Like, Hell you know, no. give that to someone else. But you should know your bottle, your, your budget. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's interesting because, like, yeah, I mean, it, uh, financial modelling is something that can seem so daunting and overly complex. But at the end of the day, it's just how you structure to make money, right? Yeah, like, it is. Yeah. It's, it's just, not I think actually it's, that, com- I mean, th- there would be very, very complicated businesses. But I think about our business and, like, you know, it's it's not outside the realm of peep anyone to be able to learn and understand that. Right. Everyone can learn and understand yeah. that, you know? Agree. It's just a story in numbers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I love story that. in numbers. <laughs> it's all it is. Brilliant. Brilliant. We're gonna take that one. <laughs> I love that. So I have a question about sort of the return on investment of certain, I guess, marketing activity and activity within the business. How do you approach that? Um how do you approach testing new uh, marketing strategies and seeing what works? Do you kind of adopt a bit of a test and learn approach? Yes, we do. So um, even with the out-of-home campaigns that we ran um, recently, uh, we use coupon codes to monitor, you know, the return. We also know sales won't come through there. They'll come, you know, direct. So we look at how it drives our direct sales and through um, digital ads and and we monitor all that through Google and then we analyse it. We look at different periods of time um, down to that level, the money we spent and then what revenue it it drove to see how successful it was. And we do that with influencers with everything we do. Can you explain a little bit about how that works with with influencers? Yeah, so with influencers, especially through our affiliate programs now, um, they they get direct links and we can monitor and see, you know, how much revenue they're driving and then we're able to see what we spent versus the return that it drove because they've got their own direct links to our website. Mm. And is this something you kind of did from the, from the get-go? Yes, yeah. it has been. So, um, yeah, whether, I mean, SEO is probably one of those things that is a little bit harder to measure, but mm. as you as you grow, you trust that it does work because it, you can see from your organic strategy or your, mm. how much that makes up part of your marketing mix, so what percentage mm. it is, if SEO is working but it's not as direct as some of these other channels. But if your organic is staying strong, you know that's part of your SEO strategy. One thing that we love about the brand is your use of real women. They come in all shapes and sizes. Why was it important to do this? Because I just felt it was time that we, you know, embrace and then celebrate all bodies, um, you know, from different ages, genders, abilities, um, you know, sizes, I was just a bit fed up, really. Yeah. Um, as a consumer myself, I've been sold this perfect size, um, you know, uh, blonde model with me. I just felt I was over it, um, and I and I and I just think, yeah, we all should be able to celebrate some, you know, our bodies, all the all the little bits about them, the cellulite, you know, the 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 ingrown hairs. It's all just part of being human, and and it's actually okay as well. And um, you know, with a brand like ours, when we're talking about topics like periods, um, which can be icky and, you know, and, you know, having a little leak is, it can be icky as well. And I'm not going to say it isn't, but um, it's important that we share that and we're very open about it and it's, and it's okay and to feel okay about it. hundred percent. I think that authenticity just Mm. shines through with your brand Mm. um, and it's really refreshing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, we want to ask some questions about funding because last year you secured some funding from a private equity firm. So can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to go and seek funding and how are you planning on spending the cash? <laughs> yes. So I decided to go and find a partner because the business has been scaling very quickly, around 200 to 400% per wow. year. Wow. And um, But I felt we needed a partner to really um, invest in our operations and to help us um, have a stronger foundation to scale more quickly um, and quadrant with the right fit. They were the right fit not only because they put that financial investment in, but as a partner, um, they weren't going to come in and try and direct and change what they were doing. They really mm. looked at me and said, you know, Christy, you're onto something here. What you're doing is amazing. They believed in the whole social impact as well as being financially profitable. And, um, you know, they've stayed true to that as well. Um, they're just, you know, my champions in the side and, and yet they've given us this money to propel the business. And, and also, as as you're aware, there's there's other um, there's other brands entering the market, and mm. and I and I you know I think it's there's a huge competition against disposables, and and that's who we have to go after. So I think having reusables in the market is fantastic, um, but I want them people obviously to choose Modi Body because we're the mm. brand that has the science and the patents and the innovation, um, and so I don't want someone to have a bad experience on a on a cheaper product, um, not proven mm. product. So that's my I just like let's go because. We created it and I don't want, because I'm so personally attached to this invention, <laughs> um, that's the other reason. Yeah. How did that feel when you saw other competitors basically cost, copy your concept and enter the market? I mean, every, you know, there's always going to be competition, but you were the first. Was that hard for you? <laughs> it's sort of, um, yeah, it, I feel torn in this way. Yes, it is. Personally, I feel wow, why can't they go and do something else? There's yeah. so many others. I said before, there's so many other things that we can um, solve. And But there's the other part of me going, well, you know, together we can make, create great change and um, disposable still own so much of this market. So mm. if this is helping to build the category, great, as long as their products do what they say they're going to do. Mm. And unfortunately, I know not all of them do. So, yeah, I feel a little bit torn. Um, yeah, I'm supportive of reusables, but we have to we have to make sure that they are functional um, and they can women can trust them. Mm, definitely, I want to touch on impact, which you mentioned just before the social impact arm of your business. Um, we chatted to the founders of Elements Tea, which is a fair trade organic tea brand, a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about the importance of building social impact into your business model from the very beginning. And you've kind of built this concept of generosity into your business from the beginning. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I I felt it was part of the body body DNA to be a business uh, that was financially profitable, but could also have huge social impact. And, you know, not only are we, have we created a more sustainable option for women, I felt we could go one step further and actually give women in need access to a sustainable option. So um, from the very beginning, uh, you know, when I started, we we um, partnered with Days for Girls and Share the Dignity um, to help, you know, donate our product into the hands of women in need. And mainly in Australia, it's women living in shelters. Um, that's who we sort of started with. And and since then, we've, we've grown that. So, you know, not only we're saving the billions of pads, tampons and liners being putting to landfill. Um, I'm so proud that now 
as you know, we, we have a returns and exchange program. Um, many fashion apparel brands, 84% of their returns will end up in landfill. No returns end up in landfill with us. Um, any product that's been opened um, will be washed, sanitised and donated into the hands of a woman in need. Mm-hmm. And now we're donating around 1,000 pairs per month. Um, and then our customers can actually give back by um, spending, um, we're just about to launch our new Give a Pair program where they only have to spend $5 and they can donate a pair on top of what we're already donating. And so we work with ActionAid and um, Bloody Good Period in the UK and Women's Shelters here. So numerous and plan, numerous organisations to keep getting sustainable options out there because disposables are not the right product for those people. We do not want to add more to landfill, but they need a solution. So, yeah, I'm really proud of that because it's just it's just what I think, you know, a lot, a lot of why my staff come and work with us is because they can see um, the positive social impact that we're having. Yeah, I mean, you're a purpose-led business for sure and it yeah. seems that that kind of filters through every single aspect. And I think consumers now expect that mm. from brands. Like brands have to have a deeper purpose. They have to have some sense of, yeah, impact. Absolutely. And so they should. I mean, yeah. I, I think of, you know, I've worked for big brands before and um, and it's not about, you know, the partnership. Yeah, sure, we should all be donating money and, you know, mm. to to charities and things like that. But the more they can build into their DNA, you know, change their supply chain and come up with, you know, the bottle that can biodegrade. <laughs> this is, you know, that's there. It's available. Um, should, that's, that's what I would love to see more from some of our big brands. It should be part of their supply chain. And as consumers and um, we all need to push for that that change. And what about when you're a small business? How did you sort of weave these types of initiatives into the business kind of in the early days or was that not something that was a focus? Uh, no, we all, we've always spoken about it and it's part of our content strategy to tell um, customers. And then when someone would make um, a donation through the Give a Pair program, we'd always send an, you know, an email thanking them. So yeah, we've, it's, it's definitely been something that we've spoken about. Um, but of, obviously the sustainability aspect, that, that's, just, that's just there. That's who we are. So um, yeah, that messaging has, has what's led us to where we are today and, and um, you know, how we've grown so fast because people want a more sustainable option. I want a more comfortable option. Um, and um, yeah, that's why we're here. Love it. I love it too. <laughs> I love it. It's the future of business. I think, you know, yeah. making money and having an impact is not mutually exclusive. And, you know, it just gives me so much hope and excitement speaking to the to, to you and to other women that are building these businesses that have really fantastic impact on the world. So um, we commend you on that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. And yeah, and we continue, uh, I just want to say like we we want to continually invest in that. So, you know, where we are today with the brand um, and where we are in another year and what we're doing in our pipeline and that innovation, um, I think, you know, that's the sort of message I want to say to our customers that they know that we're always looking at it, you know, how we can be more sustainable, more transparent, more ethical um, and, you know, more innovative in, in the products that we give them. Absolutely love it. So we're going to ask you a couple of final questions. You ready? I'm ready. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. We would love a shout out to one woman or man who has helped you on your journey. Okay. Well, I'm going to shout out to my husband, um, James, because um, he is, you know, he's such a great support to me. He's 
you know, my number one promoter, um, but also as I, he's seen me struggle, he's helped us put things in place in our family situation um, to help, you know, continue the success of the business. And, you know, he does the washing on the weekend. He's, he's equal. We're really equal. And I think we need more men like that. We need women to feel um, that they can, they can start a business and they can do things and that men will, you know, and he's, he, he does medicine and science, so he's busy himself, but they can do just as much as we can at home. <laughs> I love that. We're going to no take excuse. that out and put that in a group. Yeah. <laughs> a quote. <laughs> love that. Um, and then final question, what's one thing that you need right now? What's one thing that I need right now? A holiday? Same. <laughs> <laughs> <So>, I mean. <laughs> uh, and a little bit more sleep. <laughs> I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. That was a really fantastic, um, fantastic chat. We really appreciate you making the time. Thank you. I've really appreciated it. Quick shout out. Thank you, Christy, so much for that fantastic discussion. Okay, it's takeaway time. We have some great tips and bits from this one. Firstly, don't shy away from understanding the financial side of your business. Financial modelling might sound a little bit complicated, but actually it's not something to be overwhelmed by. When you get into it, it's really just the story behind the numbers. If you have NFI about how to create a financial model, or if you're not sure if you even need one, come into the Lady Brains Facebook group where we'll be posting a bunch of really great resources. Secondly, profitability and impact are not mutually exclusive. Modibody is really an example of a brand achieving both. Now more than ever, customers expect brands to have this type of deeper purpose. So it really is an opportunity for you right now to get clear on why your brand exists and the impact that you want to have on the world. Finally, you don't need to mortgage your house or sell your kidney to start a business. Christy bootstrapped and dropped just 25k to invent, yes, invent her product. We thought that she'd left off a zero, but nope, it goes to show that starting lean and ordering small quantities of stock can be the right way to go. That's it for this episode, ladies. If you want to hear more about our upcoming supper and breakfast clubs or our group mentor program, The Brains Trust, head on over to our website, ladybrains.com.au. And remember, hit subscribe and then we'll be in your ears forever. Lady Brains is hosted by Anna McKenzie and Caitlin Judd. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Matt Nikolich.